It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. And today, we're rounding out the first round of our bracket. The NCAA tournament might not be going on, but you know what is going on? Texas A&M's Locked On Aggies bracket. Today, we'll enter eight more players into our panel. We will see their stats, see how they've done in the collegiate and the NFL or MLB or NBA level, and rank them on who will be moving on in our contest to name the greatest Aggie player of all time. Before we begin, just make sure you're following us on a couple social media sites. First, Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is your number one source of all things Texas A&M audio that you could ever want. Make sure you follow us at LockedOnPodcast.com. And second, if you like the show, you like me, you like what I'm saying, you think that I've done a good job, give me a quick follow. It's really simple. It's at Mr. Cole Thompson. My name is Cole Thompson. I am a mister. It's that simple. Don't wear it out. At Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. Let's give you a recap on who went in to the next round. John David Crow defeated Justin Wilson to move on into the Sweet 16. He was followed by Mike Evans. Followed by that, we had Warwick Hol- uh, Holdman move on. And last but not least, oh, Richmond Webb move on, my bad. And last but not least, Chris Middleton. Middleton got the upset as the, got, was the number four seed. Uh, Richmond Webb got the upset as the number six seed. And now we have to find our final four members to join in our bracket for our Sweet 16 and Elite 8 that start next week. So, why don't we break down who's going to be in the running this week? Coming in our number one seed in our underdog category, Sam Adams. Number two, Chuck Noblechak. Number three, Quentin Corrett. Number four, Ray Childress. Number five, Daniel House Jr. Number six, Leland McElroy. Number seven, Marcus Buckley. And last but not least, Tyler Naquin. And we're going to start off by looking at the biggest underdog of all of them, and that would be Naquin. Naquin grew up in Spring, Texas as a giant Houston Astros fan. As a three-year letterman for Klein Collins High School under Coach Kent Mender, he was a two-time All-State and three-time All-District player, while also garnering an All-Greater Houston selection by the Tigers. He actually made it to the MLB Right after he was selected for a team, uh, he was selected, I think, in the third, yeah, 33rd round by the Baltimore Orioles. Instead, he elected to go to AM. In his freshman year in 2010, he appeared in 58 games, making 47 starts all in right field. And he started the final 30 games. He batted 244 on the year with 10 extra base hits. Uh, eight doubles and a pair of home runs, led the team with four sacrifice flies, scored 29 runs, and drove in 19. He was 6 for 8, so he had a 75% rating on stolen bases. He recorded eight outfield assists that year, and that was the most since Corey Patton in 2004. He enjoyed a breakout year in his sophomore season as during an All-American campaign. Uh, he garnered All-American honors from College Baseball Insider, America's and Coaches Press, and Rawlings Second Team all, um, All-American all honors, and Collegiate Baseball Second Team as well. He was also named the Big 12 Player of the Week in the Daily Oklahoman and the uh, Waco Herald Tribune, and was the first team All-Big 12 player that year. Started in eight, 68 games, all in right field, led the nation in hits with 104, while pacing his way through the Big Ten, Big 12 with a 381 batting average, topping the Aggies' runs scored with 68 on doubles, 23, led the team in triples with 7, walks, 29, 
Total bases, 147, and drove in 44 ribbies, finishing 6 for 13 on stolen bases. He also led the team with 32 multi-hit games. He was selected in the first round with the 15th overall pick during the 2012 MLB draft by the Cleveland Indians. He made his uh, season debut with the Mahorning Valley Scrapers. Uh, he would then go ahead and slowly make his way into the MLB. After the 2015 season, he remained in the Indians facility in Arizona to work on strength training. Uh, he began his MLB career in 2016. And since he's been a player who no one really knows what he's going to be at the next level because of injuries have really plagued a majority of his time. Uh, he began, uh, yeah, he, he's dealt with, let's see. Uh, with uh, ankle injuries, he's dealt with thigh injuries, he's dealt with a shoulder injury. Uh, he was the two-time AL Rookie of the Month during July and uh, June of the 2016 season. For his career in the MLB, he's batted 283 with 20, 27 homers and 101 ribbies. He's also posted, I believe if I'm not mistaken, a 283 batting average. I don't want to be completely wrong on this, so let me just look at my notes real fast. Yeah, 283 batting average, an, an on-base percentage of 335, and a slugging percentage of 453. So he's been a guy who's represented AM very well at the collegiate level, but has he been able to do that same success over in the MLB? That's kind of a question. But now we got to look at Sam Adams and see how these two rank up next to each other. Perhaps the greatest defensive tackle to ever come through, Kyle Field, you got to realize Sam Adams, not just a great beer, but also a great player. For his career, he tallied 169 total tackles, 23 tackles for losses, 24.5 sacks, 7 forced fumbles, 3 fumble recoveries, and 2 interceptions. He was dominant in the run game, and when you think of run-stopping defenses, the early 90s of A&M football, that was it. that's what they were known for. That's literally all they were known for. He was in the middle of three consecutive conference titles and was probably the strongest player on the field at all time. He was honored with awards all three seasons of his Aggie career, but the 1993 season was the one that he will be most remembered for. He finished the year with 78 tackles, 13 tackles for losses, 10.5 sacks, 5 forced fumbles, and 3 fumble recoveries. He was a 1993 Consensus All-American, 1992 Southwest Newcomer of the Year, 1991 First Team All-American, 1992 and 1993 First Team All-Southwest Team. He was the 1993 Sports Illustrated Defensive Player of the Year, 1993 uh, Southwest Conference Defensive Player of the Year. He was the 1993 runner-up for the Lombardi Award, and he's in the Texas A&M Athletic Hall of Fame. He would later go on to play, uh, what was he, uh, 14 years in the NFL, selected with the number 8 overall pick in 1994 by the Seattle Seahawks. He made three Pro Bowls uh, and was named to an All-Pro team twice. He, he was a game-changer and a key player in the 2000 Baltimore Ravens season where they hoisted their first-ever Lombardi Trophy. Uh, that was to some, consider the best defense that's ever been on a field. And when you consider some of the names on that field, Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, I mean, you look at the names on that list, it goes on and on and on. This The team had a quarterback in Trent Dilfer that probably will go down as one of the more overrated quarterbacks to ever win a Super Bowl. But it's because of that defense, kind of like in 2012-2013 season when they won it against San Francisco, same kind of principle. They literally were dominated by the defense. For his career in the NFL, 
Uh, Adams garnered 208 games. He also had 398 tackles, 302 were solo tackles, 96 of 6 tackles, 44 sacks. His best year came in 1997, where he had seven sacks on the year, five forced fumble. Six force fumbles, five fumble recoveries, three interceptions. That's incredible for a guy who plays in the interior of a defense. Uh, he also had two touchdowns and 36 pass deflections. Naquin is a guy who, when I look at the numbers, he's someone who, yeah, you definitely want to give him credit for his breakout year. But again, Adams did this every single season. This was a guy who literally dominated the trenches in the Southwest Conference, he was a guy who helped put AM on the map. He helped them grow, and eventually when they moved over to the Big 12, he was a reason that they had enough recruits to contend early. Adams gets the win here. Sorry, Tyler. I wish you could have stayed healthy in the MLB. Maybe this will be the year you break out, but until then, we're kind of going off of what we've seen in 14 years in the NFL. Definitely garner that ex exhibition to move on to the next round. We still have three more players to add to our Sweet 16. Who will be in the running? Don't go anywhere. We'll be breaking those guys down in just a quick moment. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, if you aren't subscribed to a great podcast system that knows exactly what they're talking about with the sport they love, what are you doing by not joining Locked On Podcast? We have a ton of guests, a ton of shows, a ton of talent here for your listening ears with college sports, NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, and fantasy sports. So go ahead and take a listen at LockedOnPodcast.com today. We're moving right along at light speed for our Texas A&M bracket to see who will be the greatest Aggie of all time. And coming in as our number two seed in the underdog list is Chuck Novachok. Anyone who is an AM baseball fan definitely knows this name. He grew up in Houston, Texas. He uh, went to Beller High School. He was one of the top outfielders at the time. Uh, he also played alongside of um, Chris Young and Jose Cruz Jr. Uh, he missed his entire senior season due to a broken leg, but he cheered from the bench as his team won the state championship. He was drafted in the 18th round by the Philadelphia Phillies, but did not sign. Instead, elected to go to College Station and play for Texas A&M, where he was a second-team All-American in his sophomore season and was on on the 1989 team that finished with 58 wins on the year. That is the highest in school history to this date. No team has beaten it since. In 1998, he played for the collegiate summer ball team with the Warren Galman in the Cape Cod Baseball League. He received the Outstanding Pro Prospect, and in 2001, he was inducted into the Cape Cod Baseball League Hall of Fame. He was drafted by the Minnesota Twins in the first round of the 1989 draft. He won the All-American All League Rookie of the Year Award and a World Series ring as a member of the 1991 Minnesota Twins. In Game 7 of the World Series, Novichok attempted to deceive Lonnie Smith by appearing to start a double play on a Terry Penderson double, causing Smith to get only to third base when he might have scored for the Atlanta Braves. That actual play helped save Game 7, and it ultimately led to Minnesota winning the, uh, winning the championship that year. During the 1980, uh, 1994 and 1998 season, Novichok batted a career 312, 333, and 341, respectively. He also garnered an AL Gold Glove Award at second base in 1997. He stole over 40 bases in three consecutive seasons. After the 1997 season, Novichok was traded to the New York Yankees in exchange for four players, including four, uh, two future All-Stars, Eric Milton and Christian Guzman, and also $3 million. 
He was once a popular player in Minnesota. His request to be traded for the Twins ultimately led to him being booed on successful trips to Minnesota, but I don't think he really cares because of what he did for the Yankees, I think speaks louder than anything he ever did for the Twins because he was just a part of that one team that did win. He was a part of four World Series teams, three coming from 1998, 1999, and 2000 during the Triple Crown era of the New York Yankees. Hit for his career, he batted 289, had 98 home runs, 615 uh, RBIs, and 407 stolen bases. There is a knock, though, on talking about Noblechok in a positive way. In December of 2007, uh, Noblechok was included in the Mitchell Report, which provided evidence that he used performance-enhancing drugs during his career. In the report, Brian McNace states that human uh, he produced human growth hormones from Kirk Rasnott for Noblechok during the 2001 season when he served as the New York Yankees assistant bench coach. He also uh, injected Noblechok seven to nine times with the HGH. In uh, 2008, uh, the Congress subpoenaed had withdrawn and Kovalchuk agreed to a disposition deal during that same year. He later admitted to using human growth hormones saying, I did HGH. It did not help me out. It did not make me any better. I had the worst years of my career from a batting average standpoint and I got hurt. So there was no good that came out of it for me. It was not a performance enhancer for me. I mean, it's a knock because of one... He used it and he cheated his way into the system, which I'm not saying is a bad thing because literally dozens, if not hundreds of players used the human growth hormones during the late 90s, early 2000s. It was a big deal. Some of the biggest names in sports in baseball, Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, they all used it. So it's not bad, but the problem is it also didn't work. When you look at his numbers from that season, they were not good at all. During that year, he batted a second to worst career low in batting average with 250. He only had 130 hits, which, yeah, he did have a ton of hits with it, but he didn't. He wasn't able to drive the ball. He only had nine home runs on the year, 44 RBIs. That was his third lowest in his career. Uh, he didn't play much more after that. He only played, spent one season with the Kansas City Royals. During that year, he batted, what was it, 210, which was his lowest of his career. Uh, he had 41 runs, uh, 63 hits, nine doubles, and six home runs for 22 RBIs. So the end of his career wasn't strong, but the beginning of it was, which is why I have him as the number two seed. If you take out that one year, and it was towards the end of his career, by the way, uh, so I'm not going to garner and give him a ton of credit of, oh, you know, but we should ban him. No, it was it was the end. He, he wanted to continue to play, and he figured this was the way it was going to work. I think that you can give him a little bit more of a break here. But why don't we take a look at our number seven seed, and that would be Marcus Buckley. He was a linebacker for AM from 1989 to 1992. He helped AM win back to back Southwest Conference titles in 91 and 92. He was there during the time of Sam Adams. For his career, Buckley had 29 career sacks, 12 sacks in one season, 70 total tackles, four pass deflections, nine tackles for losses, 18 quarterback pressures. For his career, Buckley had 29 career sacks and 70 total tackles. During the 1992 season, he had 12 sacks, four, four pass deflections, nine tackles for losses, and 18 quarterback pressures. When you look at what he was able to do, the Aggies were able to record a 12-1 record that season, and he was the Defensive Player of the Year in the conference. Uh, in two, uh, They went 12-0 and during the regular season, but lost to Notre Dame in the Cotton Bowl. They were the 
one of three teams to finish undefeated that got let uh, let out of the national title game as number one Alabama played number two Miami. So they finished as the number three seed that year. He finished his Aggie career ranked six all-time in sacks. He would go on to be a third-round pick for the New York Giants. Uh, and he, you know, had a decent career. Played seven years for the Giants, mostly as a backup in special teams, but he was um, a member of that NFC championship team that lost to uh, Baltimore that year for his career in the NFL. Buckley totaled, let's see, how many tackles did he total? He played in 101 games. He started in 25. He totaled 143 career tackles, 87 total, uh, 87 solo. He had four fumble recoveries and one forced fumble, 1.5 sacks on his career, and that only came in the 1997 season. So... You look at this, he had a good career. He was a member of a team that helped out and made it to the Super Bowl, but he never really did anything afterwards. He's one of those guys who could not find his rhythm in the NFL. So yeah, he had great success for AM. But yet the total in what he did at representing AM. And I don't think he garners what Novichok did. He's a four-time World Series winner. So Novichok moves on. We still have two more names to break down in this list. Who will be moving on to our Sweet 16? Don't go anywhere. We'll be breaking those down in just a quick moment. Howdy, everybody. It's Cole Thompson from Locked on Aggies, and I'm going to give you my secret weapon of how I stay ahead in reading because we all know it's hard to find time to sit down and learn more when you don't have free time. But now there's this incredible app called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique and it works on your phone, tablet, or web browser and takes away the key takeaways and need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books to condense them down into just 15 minutes for you to read or listen to. Successful people love to read hundreds of books and Blinkist has made it easier for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that information right away. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now and it has a massive growing library from self-help, business, health, and history books. Blinkist is the latest in titles for bestsellers and classic nonfiction books that you always meant to read but never had time to. I love to use it when I'm driving in the car, while traveling, or working out on the elliptical. Right now, they have a ton of unlimited access for you to listen to, and you can download it for our special offer with just our audience by going to Blinkist.com MBA to try it for free for seven days and save 25% off off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash MBA. So start going ahead and listening for seven free days before you got to pay. But remember, you get 25% off and stay ahead during your busy days. Gigam y'all. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat. Guys, make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. Both of those will give you great access to all things Texas A&M related and you don't want to miss out on what we have in store. Coming in at our number three seat is Quentin Corrett. Corrett was a member of the 1998 to 1991 A&M teams. He helped the uh, Aggies win the Southwest Conference Championship in 1991. Uh, he was a great linebacker who made a ton, who had a ton of success. Uh, definitely was one of the fiercest players when it came to a pass rush, and his stats prove it. But he definitely was known for his gnarly hit on TCU Horn Frogs wide receiver Kyra McPherson, which broke a jaw, his jaw and three places in a broken rib. 
and he was known as part of the Wrecking Crew defense. He would garner 184 tackles, 7.5 sacks, 16 tackles for losses, and 3 fumble recoveries. He was named to the second team All-American team in 1991, the first team All-SWC team in 1991, the Southwest Conference Player of the Year in 1991. He's in the Texas A&M Hall of Fame and the Cotton Bowl Hall of Fame. He would be, at first, before Miles Garrett beat the record, he would be the highest player ever drafted in A&M history. And I know Luke Jokel got drafted in the same spot, but he was the first one to do it. The number two overall pick in the 1992 draft. Unfortunately, he was known as one of the biggest busts in history, but it's because of injuries. He played six pretty quality years for the Indianapolis Colts before tearing both his left and right pectoral muscle and later his Achilles. He'd be released after the 1998 season. He tried to come back in 1999, but never could overcome injuries and retired later that year. For his seven years in the NFL, he played in 82 games. He had 459 total tackles, 339 solo tackles, 8.5 sacks, four forced fumbles, seven fumble recoveries, three interceptions. I believe he also had, yeah, he never had an interception return. His best season came in 1995 where he tallied 163 total tackles. It, it Just after that, everything kind of started going. He was a restricted free agent who signed a... Uh, deal to go to Jacksonville for $17.5 million. The Colts elected to bring him back. Uh, he played in only eight games that year. Uh, that 1997 season, we already know, he started off with a shoulder injury. So literally, you can't call him a huge bus. You just can't call him a player that never was. The way I look at it is like Robert Griffin III, when you look at a guy like Corrett. He had a really good year, and injuries just continued to hurt him. They piled up. You couldn't trust that he was going to stay healthy. You worried that he was going to be a problem. And unfortunately, that just became the end of the storyline for him. Coming in is our number six seed, Leland McElroy. He was known for being one of the top running backs to ever come through Texas A&M history. He probably is ranked right up there when you look at Darren Lewis and Travion Williams. Uh, on terms of just explosiveness and agility, he's probably the top running back in the history of of the school his nickname was electric leland because of his blazing speed and what he was able to do uh, he doesn't have as much numbers as some of the guys that were already listed but when you look at his agility and what he was able to do during the time uh splitting reps with greg hill and um and also a couple of other players uh, rodney thomas was the other one he was probably that change of pace back that you wanted in your backfield for his career, he tallied 448 carries, which had 2,442 yards, 29 rushing touchdowns, 53 catches, 645 yards, 7 receiving touchdowns. He also averaged a kick return of 36.5 yards with 4 kickoffs returned for touchdowns. He was a consensus All-American returner in 1994, and he was the All-American as running back in 1995. Played for the school from 1993 to 1995. When it comes to the NFL career, though... There really wasn't much to talk about. He was, let's see. Yeah, he was a second-round pick with the 32nd selection by the Arizona Cardinals. He spent two seasons there. Yeah, 1996 to 1997. He was then a practice squad member the rest of his career, spending 1998 with the Tampa Bay Bucks, 1998 with the Denver Broncos, and 1999 with the Indianapolis Colts. For his NFL career, there's not much to go off. He played in 30 games, started 14, had 224 total rushing attempts for 729 yards, 
and three touchdowns. He did kind of make a name for himself when it comes to kick return, 1,148 yards on the year. So overall, he had as good as a career for a backup that you could say. But when you put these two next to each other, stat by stat, I think you have to go with Corrett here, mainly because of nothing else. But one was the number two overall pick. He had solid seasons. He played seven years. Both of them were explosive players, but Corrett had that potential to be something special. I don't know how much further he'll get in our list, but he is someone who had the potential to be a fantastic player at the next level, just could not delay the injuries. Our final two, coming in our number four seed, Ray Childress. Childress is one of those players that when you line up against him in a defensive formation, when you're an offensive lineman, you go, ah, crap. Yep, I I might lose this one. That's for dang sure. So, when you look at his stats, he was a force on the defensive line. He had 117 tackles and 15 sacks as a junior. Then as a senior, he recorded 124 tackles and 10 sacks. His 360 tackles ranked fourth all-time in A&M's career list. He was named an All-American for his efforts both in 1983 and 1984. He was part of the only winning team in A&M history that won their one bowl appearance during his time on campus. He was drafted with the number three overall pick in the 1985 draft by the then Houston Oilers, two spots behind for, uh, future Pro Football Hall of Famer Bruce Smith. Childress was an All-Pro six times. He was selected to the Pro Bowl five times and set an NFL record with three fumble recoveries in the same game. For his career, he was credited with 76.5 sacks and 19 forced fumbles. He spent 11 seasons in the NFL playing for both the Houston Oilers and the Dallas Cowboys. He spent one year with Dallas. He tallied 163 total games. He also had 887 tackles. Uh, tw- let me see. And then, yeah, of course, the 76.5 sacks. Uh, never had a never uh, two, yeah, two touchdowns on the year. Never had an interception. So a pretty quality career. And our final seed, our number five seed, Daniel House Jr., final basketball player. House spent two years with the University of Houston before transferring to College Station. After missing the first three games, he received an NCAA waiver that allowed him to play in the 2014-15 season. He averaged 16.2 points per game and was garnered a first-team All-SEC honors. He suffered a foot injury near the end of the season and missed the team's final four games. During his senior year, he averaged 15.6 points per game, 4.8 rebounds, 2.1 assists, and scored at least 20 points in nine total games. For the first three games of the year, he tallied a total of 50 points in wins over USC, uh, Southern Louisiana, and Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Uh, they also would make it to the SEC Championship, sharing the title with, uh, let's see, with, uh, yeah, Kentucky. He averaged 17 points per game and scored 32 in the championship game against Kentucky, where the Aggies would lose 82-77 to in overtime. In the first round of the NCAA tournament, he scored 20 points in 26 minutes to defeat the Green Bay Phoenixes, 92-85. to In the second round, the Aggies faced the number 11 seed, Northern Iowa Panthers, by the 5.14 minute mark, uh, House had not scored any points, and he ended with 22 and a du- in a double-double overtime, where the Aggies overcame a 12-point deficit uh, with 44 seconds remaining to win 92 to 88. It is still the largest last-minute comeback in NCAA history. Uh, they would end up losing the next round to Michigan. He would be undrafted in the 2016 NBA draft. He would sign with the Washington Wizards, play in their minor league system, 
with the Delaware 70, 87ers, the Rio uh, Grande Valley Rapids. Then he finally made it to the uh, NBA in 2017 with the Phoenix Suns before joining back home in Houston with the Rockets in 2018. He's had up and down years with them. For his career in uh, all time, he played in one game with Washington. He played in 23 games with Phoenix and 39 games with the Houston Rockets. He's averaged 22 minutes per game, started in 16 games. The most was this pa- uh, was in the 2018-2019 season. Uh, he had four. He averaged a 45% shot range from the field goal. 41% from the three th- uh, from the three point range, 78.9% from the free throw range. He's averaged for a career 8.2 sh- uh, points per game, one assist, uh, one steal, and one block. Childers is a college football Hall of Famer. House spent two years. Yeah, he had a really good run when A and M defied the odds during that 2016 season. But Childers has to be the guy here. So. We have our final four. We have our actual final sweet 16 now. We know who's going to be moving on into our list. So let's just break down who you can expect to see fighting moving forward. You have Von Miller, Johnny Manziel, Kevin Smith, and DeAndre Jordan, Dat Nguyen, Miles Garrett, uh, AC Law, and Aaron Glenn. You have John David Crow, Mike Evans, Richmond Webb, and Chris Middleton, Sam Adams, Chuck Nobelchak, Quentin Corrett, and Ray Childress competing for our list for our final player who will be named the greatest AM Aggie of all time. That's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Mr. Cole Thompson and at Locked on Aggies. Tomorrow, Asking Aggies is back. We'll be breaking down some of the biggest names and biggest questions you have for us when we return. So you don't want to go anywhere. We'll be back soon tomorrow. And remember, you can always listen to other great shows such as Draft Dudes and the Locked on NFL Draft with Trevor Sikama, Benjamin Solak, Kyle Krabs, and Joe Marino. Joe and Kyle both cover the Locked on Dolphins and Locked on Bills podcast, so you know they're good names. So make sure you give them a follow, and we will be back on Friday for Asking Aggies. We'll see you then, and remember, game y'all. This has been Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.